Hello, this is Mark Ainley, a.k.a. DJ Solitaire, here with a second edition of Trance History Recollections of Goa Trance Experiences in the 1990s. In the first podcast episode, I had discussed how it was that I first came into contact with this music via a friend in Tokyo, and the first Tokyo Odyssey party that I went to and then that mind-blowing event where Ollie from Space Tribe played the entire night in the middle of October 1994 at a Tokyo nightclub and how that completely blew my mind open and my perspectives about music and how it can be used and appreciated. I wanted to continue that sequential journey and experience that I had with this music uh, from that time I guess what came next was basically after that Space Tribe event, just really not being able to have anything I could put my finger on for what this music was. Uh, I didn't own any music. I didn't have any recordings of it. And so I had to go to events in order to hear this music, which is a really interesting and I think important point to consider only having access to this kind of vehicle for an experience and for consciousness expansion uh, at the actual event. If you think back historically, many people really only had access to, for example, if we think about classical music, they had to go to the events, in a sense, to hear a symphony play or um, a group of musicians play unless they had a small group of musicians playing in the home, unless they were maybe playing the piano themselves. When there was no recording technology around, the experience was completely tied to the music itself. And so at this point, I mean, I had really still no idea what this music was, how it was happening, and so on. So uh, I was going every week or two, to these events. And so after, I remember clearly that uh, the week after that event where I heard Ollie, which really was, it's just something that stuck in my head for a very long time. I went on a trip with my sister, so I didn't go to an event that week. So I missed an Odyssey party, which was taking place every two weeks in Tokyo. I missed it that week. And I remember the, at the end of October, I would have gone to a Halloween party, which, you know, uh, didn't particularly have the music I was, you know, looking for now. And I remember then going to the Odyssey parties in uh, the first weekend of November and then the third weekend of November. That's how they went. And the third weekend of November, there was a, a guest DJ from overseas who was going to be playing. Um, listed on the flyer, one Tsuyoshi Suzuki. So although, of course, a Japanese name, uh, he was visiting from London. Now, Tsuyoshi, nowadays, of course, there's no surprise and no guess as to who he is and who he was at that time. However, I I had absolutely no clue. But uh, Tsuyoshi had moved to London either the year before or earlier that year to found his uh, Matsuri Productions and Matsuri label and was playing 
at parties in London. This, it turns out, this November 19th, 1994 Odyssey party, was his first return to Tokyo since he moved to London. And in case you're wondering why I remember the dates and so on, I actually have the flyers for uh, these events, so that's how I remember. As usual, uh, you know, we went to Odyssey pretty much for opening sometime between 11 and midnight. And I believe it was Mayuri who was playing first. Now, Mayuri was uh, partners with Jay, who's the American guy, who was uh, one of the DJs at Odyssey. Now, I didn't really know this yet. I might have just met him sometime around this time. Mayuri had this very interesting style of playing a kind of housey, psychedelic uh, style of music that was very analog and very rich and um, really quite wonderful. But, you know, I still had at the back of my mind that flavor that I had heard Ollie playing a month earlier. Now, I remember being on the dance floor at this November 19th party when all of a sudden the sound shifted and it went into something very rhythmic and very precise and almost mathematical. And I just perked up immediately and realized, hey, this is that sound. This is that music that we heard that night. And I ran downstairs from the dance floor and got Donaldo and our friends and said, hey, you know, it's that, it's that music from last time. And went upstairs and I was just there the whole night. I actually probably did leave at around six in the morning or so. My energy would usually start to wane at that time. But uh, I remember the energy on the dance floor being absolutely electric. And it was just that kind of high energy, streamlined, mathematical, alien language music that was completely new to me and completely different from anything I'd experienced other than, of course, that October 15th party um, that Ollie had played at. And so I was just, you know, dancing away and listening to this music and completely beside myself with, uh, you know, this rapturous joy of hearing this kind of almost forgotten language of the inner workings of consciousness. I remember the energy, the dance floor was absolutely packed. There were more people there than at the Ollie event, which was a much smaller one. It looks like Odyssey was starting to get a few more people. It was, it was usually, there was a, prior to that, there had been quite a lot of space. It was still quite unknown still taking place in that residential area and therefore only people in the know were going there. But I guess Tsuyoshi's name somehow maybe attracted a few more than usual and the dance floor was pretty packed. And I remember uh, people really going off and uh, lots of woohoos and so on on the dance floor. I might have done a few of those myself. And I just knew this is, again, this is something, there's something to this music and I could see you know, there was Mitsuri Productions written on the flyer, and so I was, you know, curious again about this music and uh, where I could get some. But it was still almost not really a concept of being able to own this music. It was still something that was uh, was out of reach. 
but the energy was, of course, absolutely stupendous. Uh, had a fantastic time. And I remember leaving and was talking with some friends outside, and there were a couple of people out there, and some of them saying, oh, you know, yeah, I like my music to have a little bit more swing or a little bit more heart. And I was thinking, wow, you know, it was interesting hearing people describe music, describe their experience. Of course, I couldn't imagine not liking what had been played because it was just so, I just felt so aligned with it. But, uh, you know, I was starting to hear people use language to describe the flavor and the framework of the music and their experience. And so I don't know what was happening at the end of November, but, you know, the first weekend of December, there was another event, another Odyssey party. And I remember it was at this party that a friend of mine leaned over while as I was dancing very enthusiastically to some track and he said if you like this music you'll probably really like Dragonfly Records so check out that label and I think I must have written it down because I wasn't trusting my memory but uh, I remember Dragonfly and I, I, I remember Mark leaning over and saying that thank you Mark and I guess so that would have been Saturday. So Monday or Tuesday, I would have gone into Tokyo before heading off to work. And I remember going into this CD shop some friends had told me about, this techno CD shop. Well, not just CDs, of course, it was LPs as well, and, and vinyl. Uh, Cisco. And this was uh, up in the Shibuya district near Tokyo Hands, very popular uh, spot for buying all kinds of unusual things. So I walked that little alley to the Cisco techno shop, walked in, and immediately when I looked at the CD, the new arrivals section, on the right-hand side, I saw this dragonfly, this black CD with a bright dragonfly on it, saying Dragonfly Records, you know, order, order Odonata. I just looked at it and said, oh, this must be what Mark was talking about. These were the days when you generally couldn't preview stuff. Now, actually, you could at this shop. They, uh, I didn't know that at the time, but you know, DJs would come in and they could give a quick listen to a vinyl and see what it was like. They had a couple of turntables there. But I just knew this is Dragonfly Records and this is what Mark had said and I wanted to hear some of that music. And so I paid that probably 2,500 yen, which would be the equivalent of about $30 or so today. And keep in mind, this is 1994. CDs were, in general, much more expensive than they are now. Uh, the technology, you know, it had, CDs were really um, taking over from vinyls at this point, but still rather expensive in the market in Tokyo. The pricing was still very high. But I bought it. It was, uh, you know, not too much in a sense. I was earning fairly well as a teacher. And I had brought my portable CD player with me. Uh, this is, you know, this is what we did back then. We had uh, uh, either cassettes or a portable CD player, which was, you know, this is kind of the cool thing. So instead of the Walkman for the cassette players, this was a Discman. Uh, so it was a Sony. And I 
popped the CD into it, had my headphones, put it on, start walking down the street, and I hear these beautiful lush synth chords, and then I start hearing this beautiful rubbery bass come in, and these up and down figurations and these patterns, and I was just completely overcome with joy at being able to hear this music that I had only had access to previously at this event, uh, at any of these events that I was going to. And still today, 24 years later, just about 23 and a half years later now as I tell this story, uh, I'm still, I still get this shiver of excitement and uh, this feeling of joy as I hear those opening chords of a track that I had, in fact, I have no recollection of having heard played out. Uh, the first track on that brilliant 11-track CD is by a project called Dynamics. Dynamics is how it's spelled, but when many years later I met Graham Wood, who is one of the producers of that track, and we'll be talking about Graham for sure in more detail later on, uh, I remember him pronouncing it as Dynamics. And it's called The Resistor, with a Z, is how it's spelled. And I think we should probably give that a little listen now, just for that context. This beautiful track with a lovely melody and lush synth sounds and some wonderful figurations and a very nice kick that's not overpowering but really gets your pulse going and sort of really gets the heart moving. Thank you. 
That was Dynamix, The Resistor. Beautiful track produced by Graham Wood, together with one Danny Dawson, whose name I never saw again on any uh, on any track listings, and Martin Freeland, who is a name now known to Goa fans, and will be, of course, his name will be coming up again in the next little bit. And so I listened through to this CD, and I mean, I can't say how many times, but I was walking around Tokyo, and I just remember this CD did not leave my portable player for a very long time, and I became very well acquainted with all of these tracks. And there's this whole beautiful progression, I think, of this incredible CD. Um, Every track, an absolute belter, a real full story in and of itself, beautifully sequenced as an overall story. Something I would find out several years later, this CD was produced and compiled by Simon Holtham, who was at that time running Dragonfly Records and in 1996 would leave Dragonfly in order to run Twisted Records. And there's, of course, going to be much more about Twisted Records and their star artist and other artists in a future episode. I'd like us to listen to one more track here because I think uh, this captured as well some of that feeling that I'd had at that first event when I heard Ollie play uh, a month or two before I got this CD. And that's the closing track on the CD by a project called Ayahuasca, a track called New Moon. And some of the features in this track that reminded me of those early experiences, that kind of gating, oscillating effect that you have where you have these chopped up sounds with other sounds that seem to go through them, and uh, some whooshes and atmospheric sounds that I think really transport you uh, somewhere else. And I'll probably be saying this several times uh, throughout this whole series, but uh, it's a good place to drop this in. The experience of hearing the music at an event is very different than listening to it uh, on headphones or on home speakers. And so, of course, this was a it was a pale imitation of what the actual experience was. And many times over the years, I would have this experience of hearing a track played at an event and thinking, oh my God, what is this amazing music? What is this? And then finding out that, in fact, I had the track. And I just couldn't recognize the music, but I, in fact, had it at home. And so I was aware of that, even at the time, that it was sampling. I was having like a kind of a shadow of the actual experience, but it was still enough of a taster, enough of an experience that I was really, of course, appreciating it very, very much. Let's listen to that wonderful track by Ayahuasca, New Moon.
that beautiful New Moon track, uh, written by Dino Saras, Jyoti Sidhu, and Steve Ronan, all producers and artists who would have a significant role to play in the production of this music in years to come, and some stories relating to my having met all of them and so on uh, coming in future episodes. Now, it was around the time that I got the CD that I met Jay, uh, who was DJing under the name Spoo, S-P-O-O, at the Odyssey parties, and he was one of the producers of the parties. And I would have met him probably in later November, early December, through Donaldo at his bar in the Las Chicas complex, the Vision Network complex, D-Zone, that he was running. And I remember, of course, just, you know, almost bowing in respect to Jay for what he was producing at these events. And he knew I was a fan and really appreciated this. And my birthday's at the end of November. And I don't believe it was was on the day, but it would have been a bit after that, I think around the time I got the CD. Because I remember the CD being the first time that I heard that music on my own. But he gave me a mixtape. This was like a gift off, just it was just off the charts. Because uh, I wasn't just hearing separate tracks, I was hearing this whole story. And in fact, one side of the cassette was Sunrise, and the other one was labeled Sunset. But it was a story that went all the way through, and Jay started off a little bit on the slower side, and then slowly built up over the course of a few tracks. And then there was a sudden shift in mood when all of a sudden, um, very organically, he would, he shifted directions and, and then all of a sudden things took off. Jay was really a master musician and I couldn't appreciate it as fully at the time, um, you know, what was involved in, in mixing until I got involved in it myself and how he, how he was doing what he was doing. But, you know, the first few tracks were quite different from, I think, that faster stuff that I was used to. But I was really interested in the, in the story and the harmonies. And I could start to hear how one track would transition into another. And started being able to hear wh- how the DJ was putting things together. But Jay was also so skillful at doing this that at times I couldn't yet tell. But as I was listening to the CDs and hearing tracks individually, I was starting to notice the the overall structure. My ears were starting to get a bit of a grasp for this musical language. And there were a couple of tracks in that mix that were just my favorites that I absolutely loved and that I would just be delighted to hear him play at the Odyssey events. Uh, There were some that I recognized, and therefore I could uh, notice how the mixing was going. And near the end of the first side, he played that wonderful Slinky Wizard track, Wizard, which is the seventh track on the Dragonfly Order Odonata CD. And he mixed it beautifully into this other track that I just loved. And I remember several times at the party just going up to him when that track was on and asking him to show me the what that was and 
you know, he would show me the label and my eyes couldn't focus in that kind of lighting and so on. And I would never remember. Uh, I'll tell the story another time of how it is that I finally did get that track. Uh, and this was a brilliant composition the called The Great Bear. And this was produced by Simon Posford. Now, this is, again, something that I would only come across later in uh, when I finally got the track and, in fact, eventually helped get that released on the Mind Rewind charity compilation featuring old vinyl-only tracks as a fundraiser for uh, a children's charity in Goa. But this story and the way Jay put this together was just absolutely superb. There's this seamless flow between these two tracks. It just seemed as if they were made for each other. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of an excerpt from that mix where we hear Jay going from the Slinky Wizard track into the beautiful Great Bear track uh, co-written and produced by Simon Posford. Just beautiful mixing and storytelling by Jay Mullen, a.k.a. DJ Spoo, the co-founder and producer of the Odyssey Parties in Tokyo, uh, in that cassette that he gave me at the end of 1994. I can't say how many times I've listened to that mix, and it's the story is so palpable, and everything was really spontaneous. Jay might have practiced a couple of those transitions on his own, but... When he made a story, when he was playing in a club and when he was playing on cassette, he was being absolutely spontaneous and creative with what he was doing, and he was playing only on vinyl. Jay did not have a DAT player and did not DJ off DATs or have access to unreleased music on DATs. Again, this is all something that I, I didn't quite know how this was working at the time, but I would find out within a few months. But I know he just played music that was released and that was on vinyl, and what seamless, beautiful mixing uh, he produced there. And so uh, I had the cassette digitized, and it's now uploaded to YouTube. So uh, on this SoundCloud page, I will have a link to that mix so that you can give a listen to that brilliant story. And I think that that story really formed for me a a very deep sense 
of the kind of the narrative and the storyline and the progression of different styles of music and how they could be put together and the fact that there's this whole sense of sequencing and also how to change directions in a way where you're not just mixing beat to beat. And while Jay was a vinyl DJ and he did do a lot of beat mixing and in some later recordings I have of him from 95 and 96, he really did mix the tracks quite tightly and he would mix out more than I really liked at the time and would probably do now, still brilliantly. But it was a different style of storytelling and he knew how to make a transition where you would really incorporate what was happening at the end of a track. Now, when I was listening to the CDs, I was noticing there's this real introduction to the track. There's no kicking. It doesn't start with the kick drum. There's this introduction, and it's part of the story, and then it leads in, and there's the whole dance section, and there might be some sections where the kick comes out, but then the storyline continues. And at the end, there's some outro, in a sense, the opposite of an introduction. There's a conclusion where things fade out. Uh, and each track really seemed like a complete story. And I think that's one of the things that struck me with this music as I was listening. That, you know, whenever I heard electronic music in general, I sort of imagined that it wasn't really anything that was nice to listen to and it was all kind of, you know, just technical. But this music, it seemed to have heart. There seemed to be a story. And then all of these individual stories were placed together in a larger story. So it's almost like these either a series of short stories that are all put together and there's this logical narrative and flow, or it's these different storylines that are happening in the context of the same novel or movie or script or whatever, and they're all being put together in this larger screenplay. So this cassette accompanied me to Thailand where I went for my Christmas vacation. Uh, no parties happening there. And I was just on the beach listening to that cassette day after day and just imagining that whole sense of uh, what these parties were like and wishing really that there was something that was happening where I was. But I'd booked my holiday well before and I was very happy, of course, to just be on the beach and be away from Tokyo and be in sunny weather and eating cheap and delicious food. So my cassette kept me company and that was great. And then back to Japan in early January and the Odyssey parties were starting up again. I heard wonderful reports about how their Christmas party had been apparently in the ambient room downstairs. They'd filled the entire thing up with these tiny little styrofoam balls that were just like snow. So the whole thing was like this winter wonderland. And uh, my sister and some of her friends had gone. I had introduced my sister to these parties starting at the Tsuyoshi event and she ended up just loving hanging out in the ambient room and I would uh, be on the dance floor pretty much the whole time. And then, you know, I was just going to those parties every couple of weeks and that was pretty much all I knew that was happening. Finally, I had been in touch with that fellow David who I had met at the first Ollie event in October. And he contacted me and let me know that he finally had received some space drive clothing. This was something that had really struck me at that first party, and I was really hoping to have something like that. I'd bought some tie-dye things in Thailand and was, of course, disappointed when they didn't glow in the black light when it was at the Odyssey parties, and, you know, I really wanted some of that fluorescent clothing. There was something that really worked for me there. 
I went over to David's place. I remember walking down the road and he was coming to meet me. And this was back when, you know, we didn't have mobile phones. So Japan was very good with phone boxes. So I phoned him from a local phone box when I was on my way. And you always give interesting directions in Japan, you know, turn right at the cigarette machine and turn left at the Coke machine or at the 7-Eleven and so on. And uh, Dave comes running around this corner to meet me dressed head to toe in this colorful clothing, wearing leggings and these, uh, this colorful gear, and invites me into his place. And he's got you know an array of this clothing. And he didn't have the kind that I'd wanted, which I'd seen that Japanese fellow wearing, where it had been this sort of black and white psychedelic designs with these stickers on it. But there was this colorful, fractalized clothing that I just loved. It went through a whole sequence of very bright colors, and there was this incredible smell to these clothes. And I bought the matching top and leggings. This whole legging thing looked really kind of cool because it was like this second skin, and it was almost like you were taking off, uh, almost like taking off your clothes in a sense, but revealing this whole energetic patterning to your physical form uh, as it was over your legs. And so that was the first outfit that I bought. But I was sitting there with David, and he was waxing rhapsodic about really what this whole scene was. Now, I was still very fresh to it. This is around, I think, February 1995. Uh, Possibly late January, but definitely by February 95. And... Dave was going on about the fractals, and he showed me this book on fractals and showed me you know, the patterning and the clothing. He was talking about you know, this patterning that's found in nature. And I remember him telling me about that Japanese guy who was wearing the clothes and how he was really into the scene, how he was travel- you know, he was at international parties, and he told me about this one forest party he had been to uh, where Ollie had played and how it was just this absolute psychedelic carnival and how uh, Ali's brother was on these stilts and it was either him or somebody else who was in this giant butterfly costume and all of this was illuminated under the black lights and how really it was this whole other world that was coming to light, literally, in these natural settings and how this there was this movement going on to open and unlock consciousness and connect people with their true nature. And I remember him saying at one point, yeah, man, this is really happening. And I was looking at him thinking like, what are you talking about? You know, it's just people dancing. Is this such a big deal? And yet, of course, there was two sides to me. There was the part of me that was thinking, wow, you know, this is kind of interesting. It's just kind of dance stuff, isn't it? And yet there was the part of me that knew it was more than that, uh, the part of me that had been struck so deeply to my core by this musical language. He showed me a record he had, purple cover along the outside with this very geometric Escher-like psychedelic design on the front. And this was a Spirit Zone vinyl of two tracks by The Infinity Project. And he was talking about how important this was and what this, how incredible this music was. And sure enough, I mean, this was absolutely mind-blowing. 
unbelievable music. And that single, for me, in fact, remains one of the all-time pinnacle releases in this whole movement. Two tracks by The Infinity Project, which is Graham Wood, one of the producers of that Dynamics track that opened up the Order Odonata CD, and Raja Ram. Now, I knew nothing about these musicians. I didn't even notice the names at this point. But I certainly loved the name, The Infinity Project. I thought that was quite cool and consciousness expanding. And when I heard the music, holy moly, I didn't know what hit me. Let's listen to one of those tracks, Telepathy by The Infinity Project. Are you aware of life on another planet? And let me put it this way. It is possible that life exists elsewhere, isn't it?
unbelievable track, Telepathy, by the Infinity Project, release on the Spirit Zone label uh, in late, I believe, 1994, and first presented to me by David uh, when I visited his apartment in early 1995, and uh, the two tracks on that vinyl would soon become great favorites of mine. David did have a digital audio tape player hooked up to his stereo 
And he explained how the music was being shared by DJs, how they were, uh, there was a circle of DJs who had access to music that was fresh and new, and there was this trading network, and they would be playing just the newest things. So he had a mix that was on a tape, and I just remember listening to a little bit of it. I don't remember who was playing, but I remember, of course, the sound was quite different from what I'd heard on Dragonfly and Jay's tape and this particular um, Infinity Project track he just played me. And again, I couldn't quite get my ears around it. It was a little bit more organic as I think back to what my impression was. But um, I just knew there was more to this music. There were more languages to this music than I could recognize at the time. So that meeting with David really um, started to crystallize something, even though I was a bit reluctant and curious about what he was speaking about, about the fact that there was this movement happening, that there were these events happening in different places around the world, and that people would in fact travel to go attend these, and hearing about this incredible decoration and design and almost ceremonial cosmic carnival kind of atmosphere created in the middle of the forest listening to this music. Uh, I was intrigued, curious, not quite sure what I was getting myself into, if I was getting myself into anything, but really quite intrigued and absorbed into this musical language. And so I left with my Space Tribe clothing and with a few more ideas in my head about what this was all about. And I went about my business teaching English in Tokyo and every weekend or two going to a musical event. On the next episode, I will be talking about how I came across another party organization in Tokyo that was producing something that was on the similar wavelength, but quite different as well. And how, again, I started hearing some different flavors of this music and different ways that this was being presented. But for the meantime, I'm Mark Ainley, DJ Solitaire, leaving you now with the other side of that brilliant Psycho Tools EP on the Spirit Zone label with Binary Neuronaut by The Infinity Project. Thank you.